Whenever somebody begins to read the Bible, I always encourage them to begin reading in John. Uh, the reason is because it's written to the Gentile world. If I were talking to a Jewish person, I would encourage them to begin reading the book of Matthew. Because the Matthew is the gospel to the Jew. And you probably noticed when you opened your Bible to Matthew, there are so many Old Testament quotations there. And so the Jewish people can really identify with that. But John is different. It's written to the Gentile world, and that's why I think you and I love it so much. Uh, John is different than the other Gospels. Actually, 90% of the material in John is unique just to John. And so when you're moving through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you're saying, boy, I've read that before. And when you come to Luke, you say, oh, yeah, I saw that in Matthew. Or when you come to Mark, you say, I saw that in Matthew in the other synoptic gospels, the first three, but John is different. Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Last evening in the service, our Saturday night service, I, I brought out my chronological Bible. I don't do that very often. Years ago, I thought I had to have one, so I bought one. Uh, our Bible is not put together chronologically, uh, you know, well, this thing happened here and then this thing happened here. Uh, it's not constructed that way. But uh, the chronological Bible is. And to my amazement, uh, the first time I opened the chronological Bible, I found that instead of Genesis 1-1 being the first verse in the chronological Bible, John 1-1 was the first verse in the chronological Bible. Uh, Actually, there were two verses that began the chronological Bible, John 1, 1, and 2. Uh, and then the next verse, I think it's the third verse, was uh, Psalm 90, verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, you're God. And then, and then comes Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God. And so we're looking at something here that predates the creation, uh, is earlier than Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, we find this Word is identified here as a person. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. Uh, this person described in verse 1 and 2 is credited as a person who created the world. Everything that was made, he made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it or, or extinguish it. There was a man from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. The purpose of the book of John is uh, for you and I to read it and to make this conclusion. And the conclusion is found in the end of John, and it says this, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not extinguish it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The, the man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. Uh, here's a sad note. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. And here's a glad note. But as many as received him, to them gave he the, the authority to become the children of God. Uh, and to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This becoming a child of God is described in the book of John as a birth, a, a new birth. Uh, we call it being born from above. Many people call it being born again. It simply means a new start. And so here the scripture says uh, that a person who is a child of God is a person that's not born from the earth, not born from human, uh, human means, not of blood or of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man, but of God, born of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, I'm sure that if you've never read this passage of Scripture before, you would probably be at a loss to know what this is really talking about, at least until you come to verse number 14. Because uh, verse number 14 is kind of like um, explains who the Word is. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Who is the only begotten of the Father? None other than Jesus Christ, right? God's only Son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only what? Begotten Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so here we find a person who is called the Word. Uh, who is Jesus? You know, that was the uh, paramount question uh, in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus asked his disciples that question in Matthew 16, remember? He got them up there at Caesarea Philippi, and he said, listen, I want to ask you all a question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they began to go through the, the list of uh, things that people were saying about Jesus. Some people believe that you're John the Baptist because John the Baptist's ministry kind of overlapped some, the ministry of Jesus. Some people believe you're just John the Baptist because uh, your disciples are baptizing just like his. Other people believe that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or some other prophet. And then Jesus said, well, you listen, I want to know what you believe. And Peter spoke up as he normally does in the Bible, and he said, listen, I believe uh, that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus said, listen, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Uh, Peter said, listen, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Now the point of our lesson today is this. Jesus is the God of life and light. And here in the first verse, we find many things. First of all, that he is the eternal God in the beginning. You know, whenever I started to think about that statement, in the beginning, I thought, well, you know, it's not used too many times in the Bible. And so I did what you would do. I punched it into my computer. I love that thing. It just blew up on me yesterday, by the way. And so I've uh, given it to one of our guys to examine, lay hands on it, anoint it, whatever, whatever it takes. I've got to have it. I punched into my Bible software, in the beginning, and I came up with like 250 references in the Bible. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all. 
250 references. We'll just deal with a couple of them, okay? First of all, there's the first one um, that we come to when we open the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning of creation. That's where the clock started ticking. That's where time really began. There's another one in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, and it talks about the beginning of the ministry of Jesus on earth. John said, listen, we've been with him from the beginning of his ministry. We touched him. We saw him. We handled him. Uh, we've been with him from the beginning. But this beginning predates the beginning of Genesis 1.1. This beginning takes us back into the realm of eternity. And so if you like to write in the margin of your Bible, write there, eternity. This word is a part of eternity. This statement takes us back to places too difficult for us to understand. John Calvin, a great thinker of many years ago, said, it says more than our mind can take in. And so don't become discouraged when you read John 1, 1 and kind of want to throw your hands up and say, what does that mean? Because he said, listen, this is more than we can take in. Augustine said this, it is beyond the power of man to speak as John does in this first chapter. He says, this is not the words of man. These are the words of God. Colossians 1.17 says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word didn't start in the beginning. It already existed in the beginning. It denotes existence. It doesn't say became, as John 1.14 says. And here we find this word, the Word. That's interesting. It's the Greek word logos. Uh, from the word lego, to speak or to express an opinion. This person, the word, is a communicator. He's a person who speaks. He's a person who likes to communicate. The word is one who speaks. Now, we know that he, is, uh, he spoke in the creation. Remember, he said, let there be light, and what happened? There was light, right? He spoke, and things happened. Our God is not a silent person. I was reading a good illustration in 1 Kings chapter 18 the other day. You know, remember when Elijah took on the prophets of Baal? Uh, remember he called them on and he said, let's just have a contest. And he said, you pray to your God, I'll pray to mine. And so they all got together and they started praying to, um, to Baal. And uh, nothing happened, of course. Uh, and, uh, and so Elijah got a little worldly, I guess it was, and he began to mock them. It's kind of almost humorous. He said, well, maybe he's sleeping. Why don't you call a little louder? Maybe he's on a trip. And uh, nothing happened. They went into a frenzy. They began to uh, torture themselves because their God wouldn't respond to them. And then it came, became his turn, and of course, his God spoke by fire and consumed uh, the sacrifices. Uh, our God, always remember this, is a God who communicates. He is a communicator. That's why his name is the Word, the Word of God. God loves to speak. He loves to communicate. I read about Mary Catherine. She entered a, the Monastery of Silence. The proprietor said to Mary Catherine, this is a silent monastery. You're welcome here as long as you like, but you may not speak until directed to. Well, she lived in the monastery for five years before the proprietor said to her, Mary Catherine, you've been here for five years. You may speak two words. Mary Catherine said, hard bed. 
My bed is hard. I'm sorry to hear that. We'll, we'll get you a better bed. After another five years, Mary Catherine was summoned again. You may say another two words, Mary Catherine. Cold food, uh, she said. Uh, she was assured that her food would be better in the future. On uh, her 15th anniversary at the monastery, the proprietor again called Mary Catherine into his office. He said, you may say two words. She said, I quit. <laughs> he said, it's probably best. You've done nothing but complain as long as you've been here. <laughs> he was just tired of her. Well, you know, Mary Catherine was not a person of many words. Uh, but our God is. He is a person of many words. The Bible says here the word was, uh, was, God, was with God also. What does that mean? The word with there can be translated face to face. And so already in verse number one, we find this. Before the beginning, before the beginning of creation, there was this individual called the word. And he was with God, right in there face to face with God. Now we have two people, two people before the creation. Uh, we have a plurality going here. And I know that if you have read uh, through the Old Testament, you've found scriptures like this in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. In Isaiah 6.8, he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? In 1 John 2, 1, the scripture says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so in the beginning, before time began, there was this person, the Word. He was face to face with God, God the Father. And then uh, we find this other statement. And the Word was God. Not a God but God. You know, many people look at Jesus and they think, well, you know, he's, uh, he's a prophet, and lots of people like to put him in that category, and that indeed he was. But he was a prophet not simply sent by God, he was God in the flesh, and he came to prophesy in that way. Colossians 2.9 says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ the fullness of God lives in a human body. He is the eternal God. Uh, verse number 3, let's look at that. All things were made through him and without him, and nothing was made that was made. He is the God of creation. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around this. Here comes Jesus into Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Uh, there's this big blinking sign outside the inn that says, No room no vacancy, but he is the very God who created everything in the world. He is the, the subject of creation, not the object of creation. Before his name was Jesus, it was the Word. And here we find his pre-incarnate work. What was Jesus doing before he came to Bethlehem? Well, he was busy. He was creating the world. Uh, he was involved in bringing the world into existence. He was doing other things. Uh, this was his pre-incarnate work. Uh, he is the God of creation. Uh, we have Colossians 1.16. Let's read this together this morning, okay? For by him all things were created that are in heaven 
and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Everything that we see around us was uh, a result of the creation of Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord. And he, cre he created it all, and it was all created for him to carry out his plan and purpose in the world. And so I'm sure that none of us would uh, say that we were not a creation of God in this auditorium this morning, but we also must remember that we are created for God's purpose in our life. And you know, there's nothing as exciting to be able to find out in your life than the purpose of God for your life. I told you one time about an elderly couple that came to our church from uh, a nearby area, and uh, through the course of time, this man who was very successful in the world realized that his world uh, didn't include Jesus. And uh, through the passage of time, he eventually opened his heart to Christ and gave his life to Jesus. And things began to change dramatically in his life, and his eyes were opened. And he invited me out to his house one day, and uh, he took me down and downstairs into his family room area. And, and one wall was covered with awards and trophies. Uh, he, was a, he was an award-winning salesman of some type. And he said, you know, I, I spent my life doing that. And he almost said it uh, wistfully, you know, like, that was my life. And he said, you know, I wish that I could have known the Lord and I could have spent my life in something more valuable than that. Uh, I'll tell you what, to know the purpose of God in our life, to know that we're created by him and for him, is a wonderful thing. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, God at various times and in various ways spoke in time past unto the prophets by the, pro by the prophets, unto the fathers by the prophets, has in this last day spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Time and time again, the Bible says that Jesus, the Word, uh, was involved in the creation. He is the God of creation. Another thing that we find here, look at verse number four. In him was life, and that life was the light of men, life. The word life is used 54 times in the book of John. You know, creation needed to receive the life from God in order for it to live, and so do we. He gives physical life to everyone and gives eternal life to all who will believe in him. The word life here is the Greek word zoe. Have you ever heard that before? Sometimes people name their kids zoe. It means life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. No one comes to the Father except he comes through me. Jesus is the God of life. And he came into this world to give life, remember? He said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Uh, most scholars are in agreement that, those, that that means two things. Uh, that means, first of all, that the purpose of Jesus coming into the world, first and foremost, was to give eternal life. That was his purpose. He wanted everybody to believe in him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He came into the world to give eternal life. He is the giver of eternal life. 
and uh, there's no other way that a person can ever have eternal life except through Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, eternal life. No one comes to the Father except he comes through me. He said, I am coming to the world to give life and to give it more abundantly. Most Bible scholars believe that means something else. Um, eternal life and abundant life. Uh, abundant life is a good thing. It makes you want to feel like there's a purpose for you to get up in the morning. You know that? Uh, I know that many of the people in our church from time to time get discouraged in their job and they say, you know, boy, I just need another job. And, uh, of course, I know you're thankful for the one you have. But are always kind of looking out for something else. You know, uh, we, uh, we want to better ourselves. We want to improve our condition. Uh, but, you know, abundant life is something different than that. It's, uh, it's something different than moving up in the company. It's, uh, it's having a deeper purpose. And that deeper purpose is knowing that you fulfill the will of God for your life. You know, I, I love that thought. I cherish that thought. I embrace that thought. Uh, when I was a young 18-year-old kid, I came to grips with the fact that I wanted to know the will of God for my life. I not only wanted to know the will of God for my life, I wanted to live in the will of God for my life. I wanted to fulfill the will of God in my life. Now, I, I want to go on record today to say that I have not always done that, but in the back of my mind, that was always my goal. Uh, because there's nothing as fulfilling as that. You know, it's nice in this world to experience accomplishment. I'm an accomplished... I love accomplishment. I'm like, a, you know, I have that addicted personality that I have to feel like I've done something worthwhile today. Uh, but uh, the greatest feeling of accomplishment comes to know that we're living in the will of God, to know that we're fulfilling His will day by day. And at the end of the day, we won't be that guy that takes some pastor to his house and says, I spent my life doing that. Uh, life's bigger than that, you know? Uh, now, I think it's good for you to try to be successful on your job, but only for the glory of the Lord, only for the glory of the Lord. Because uh, God, as you know in the Bible, will not share his glory with anybody. And we are pretty good at glory-seeking. He's the God of life. He gives eternal life. He's the God of light. Oh, I love this. Look at it, verse number 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Uh, in verse number 9, it says he's the true light. He's the genuine light. You know, when God comes on the scene, the scene light is there. Remember in the creation, the creation, it was dark, and God came on the scene. He said, let there be what? Light. The lights came on. Um, whenever we come into the presence of God, that's what he does. He turns the light on us. And we begin to see ourselves as we really are. And you know it's uncomfortable sometimes, probably more than sometimes. We come and we expose ourselves to the Word of God and we lose our comfort zone because we see, listen, I have a problem. And my problem is my sin and my sin has separated me from God and I, uh, and I know that uh, God's not pleased with that. Uh, light, uh, first of all, reveals our need. God turns the light on our heart. Light means understanding. You know, it's amazing to see people come to church. Uh, and, and church is important, it really is, because many people have found Christ just sitting in the pew after a period of time. They've accepted Christ. Because the light of the Word of God, not necessarily the commentator, 
on the Word of God. But the Word of God itself is very powerful. That's what the Bible says. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner, a judge of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so when we expose ourselves to the light, God does something. He opens our understanding. The lights begin to turn on. Uh, he shows a light to us how to get to him who, who is the light. Uh, moral insight begins to be a part of our, the fabric of our being when we come into contact with God. Uh, I, I love this um, up here in the first part, the light. The light came on and the darkness in verse number five could not extinguish it. Uh, when Joanne and I were going to Bible College in Missouri, that's the place of caves, you know. Uh, I, I, I had this thing that I like to drag the family to go visit the caves. Uh, that's not inspirational to me anymore. But, uh, and we, went, we visited this big cave, Mammoth Cave. And they take you in there and they eventually they get you into a room. I don't know whether it's as big as this auditorium or not. And they warn you, now listen, we're going to turn out the light. And you were okay until that happened. <laughs> and when they turned out the light, you just couldn't see nothing. I mean, you couldn't see anything. I mean, it was, you just couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And then the guy who was on the, on the tour put on a little light. And you know what happened? The darkness started to fade away. And it just illumined that whole cavern, just that little light. And you know, that's the message uh, that Jesus wants us to understand. He is the God of light. And when it, you know, it's easy to curse the darkness. God wants us to light the light. It's easy to get into the church and say, hey, listen, this is wrong and that's wrong. And listen, everything is wrong. We know that. Uh, and we can go on and on. And we can make ourselves feel really big and important because, because we're not participating in that or we're not a part of that problem. But that doesn't solve the problem, does it? There is one thing that solves the problem, and that is the light. That's the thing that solves the problem. Uh, we have a couple young men who moved from San Diego, California, to McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. For those of you who are familiar with McKees Rocks, there's this place. We used to call it the Projects. Uh, they call it the Terrace. They tore these old projects down. They built new houses. Even though they built new houses, it didn't change the heart of anybody. Uh, and so we had these two guys and their families move from San Diego, California, to McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. What a culture shock. They set up shop, and they let the light. They live right in the middle of the terrace. And they've been preaching for two years there and bringing people to Christ. Uh, recently, one of the members went to a, uh, went to a meeting uh, where the police chief and other leaders of the community were there, and the subject of the terrace came up. And they said, you know, we don't get the calls anymore like we used to do in the terrace. Said, uh, every now and then we'll get a call, somebody's playing their radio too loud. But you know what's happened? God lit the light in the terrace. Now, I don't want to jinx it. You may see something on television tonight. I don't know. But God lit the light, and for two years, this young family, husband, wives, young children, set up shop, 
right in the middle of the darkness and lit the light. And the light has this way of pushing the darkness back. It just keeps pushing it back, pushing it out of, out of the way. For about 10 years, our, our church took a group of young people to New York City on a mission trip. We would always use Wadsworth Avenue Baptist Church in New York City as our base of operation. It's in Spanish Harlem, Washington Heights. Whenever the pastor came there, the police in that area came by to the pastor and said, listen, we're sure glad you're here. Do you have any friends that would like to come and help you? Because right out in front of your church, they deal drugs all over the place. This is a drug place. Well, the pastor began to preach about Jesus, and you know what happened? The light pushed the drugs out of the area. Now they went somewhere else, but the light pushed the darkness back. Now we know that Jesus is the light because he said so. Uh, he said, I am the light. If you follow me, you'll not walk in darkness. And there's one way to really know your, know your way in a dark world, and that's to follow the Lord. Amen? To follow the Lord. But I want to leave you with this verse today. Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Now we know that Jesus is the light and he lightens everyone's heart who comes to him. But listen, I have news for you. You are too. You're the light of the world. You've heard this before. You've heard people say you're the only Bible some people ever read. That's true. That's true. Um, nobody's running home at night saying, listen, where's, where's the Bible? Let's just get together and read the Bible. And so what we have to do is the best that we have to give, and that's to, when we go to work, we have to become the Bible, they read. There is no Bible outside of you. You're the only Bible some people ever read. You are the light of the world. But, you know, as long as God's pouring his light into you, it's easy for you to pour his light into the world, isn't it? And so I want to ask you to guard your time with God. It's important. Because when you spend time with God, God just illumines your heart. He gives you more information. He gives you more inspiration. And you go out, go out and people say, man, I don't know what's wrong with this per person. Uh, there's something different about them. Uh, you are the light of the world. And so here in John chapter 1, we have... Uh, seeing that Jesus before Bethlehem was called the Word. He is the God who speaks. This is my final thought to you today. Uh, since we have a God who speaks so well, let us be his people who listen to what he says. Let us have ears to hear what the great eternal God has to say to you and me. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today. I wonder how far you are on the journey of coming to Christ. I know that you know that just coming to church is not the solution to the issues that we face in our life. It's a beginning as we hear God turn on the light. But it's not the end. The end is coming to Christ. It's believing in him. It's opening our heart to Christ. It's seeing our life as Christ has revealed it to us. We're, we're separated. We're lost. We're in darkness. 
If you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Christ, I'd like to invite you to do that now. Turn away from the darkness and turn to Christ who is the light. Repent. Confess. And believe in Jesus. And when you make that transition, I'll tell you, you're going to begin to see there's, there's a whole bunch of light out there in front of you each day for you to walk in because the Lord has promised to be our light in this world. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. The, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. We thank you, God, for that. We thank you that you speak to us, you communicate. You're not, you're not deaf to our pleas. You hear us when we pray, and you give us your answers, Lord. We thank you that you continually communicate with us. We pray that you'll give us listening ears. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing, I've decided to follow Jesus. I have